0: Okay. So you have two teachers today. The awesome crew is what I call them. Uh, You have Victoria Price. She's going to be the first one. She's been to Bible school also, just like uh, Andrew, who's the husband. And uh, she's also a teacher currently at Kingsgate, right? Okay. So yeah, they've been in ministry in Louisiana. So she's going to blow your mind is what I heard, right? Okay, (laughs) and then after that is my lovely wife, Ashley. Um, She's also been to um, Bible school, and she has been on the mission field in Haiti, and she pretty much grew up in church. So (laughs) she's done a lot of uh, uh, classes. And um, her dad, my father-in-law, is like a top theologian. Uh, He dumped 122 books on me the moment I became pastor here. And it's like, (laughs) you're going to need this. (laughs) So, yeah, she's grown with that influence. So please just take all all the notes that you can. And I will be here um, next week. So we will be closing it out. So thank you guys for being here. Victoria, you're up.
1: Thank you, Pastor T. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. And I'm so excited that you guys are here. I don't know about you, but I found this class to be extremely um, helpful. And it's just even a great refresher course, no matter if you are at the beginning or in the middle of your walk with God. So um, as Tondra, I said, or Pastor Tondra, I sh- should probably approach that differently, Um I did go to Bible school, but I'd like to preface that a little bit because that sounds like super intellectual. And um, I did not go to Bible school knowing much about the Bible. So when I walked into ministry school, I was kind of a newborn. (laughs) Um, I knew a little bit about God. I was saved, but it was very, um, oh, I'm going to come here and hopefully learn something and walk walk out of here being a better Christian. But it actually ended up teaching me a lot about how to read the Bible. And a lot of times when people hear I've been to Bible school, it's like, oh, she's a theologian. She knows so much. Not really. I've just become an expert disciple, which is a learner of God's word. And so that's what we're here today to do. And I'm so glad that you guys have joined us in this journey to learn more about God. Um, So today we're going to talk a little bit about the SOAP method. And this was actually a method that I learned how to read the Bible uh, through in Bible school. And when I came to Bible school, like I said, I didn't really know a lot about how to read the Bible. It was like, I approached it with this mindset of, okay, I'm going to read the Bible because if I read the Bible, I'll know about God. But other than that, I didn't really know how to do that. And I didn't know why I was doing it necessarily. And so learning this method helps me, um, really figure out why I was doing it and how to do it in a way that, um, brought the Holy spirit in to, um, my Bible reading time. So I do want to like have a little fun with you guys. Cause I'm a pre-K teacher, So don't worry, I'm not going to teach you about shapes or make you make crazy sounds or anything, although I would do that in my normal class. Um, But we are going to have a little fun, because it's 9 a.m., and we need to wake up a little bit, right? So I thought you guys might want to know a couple things about me. So speaking of soap, um, I used to be addicted to soap, but I'm clean now. Okay, you guys are getting it. There we go. And has anyone ever... Mention that doves' chocolate tastes way better than their soap. <laughs> there we go. And um, you know, I, I, this is going to be like a really controversial question. So remember that you're in church, no book throwing. You have coffee. Keep that in your hand. If you drop soap on the floor, is the floor clean, or is the soap dirty? That's a really good question, right? We'll have more debate about that later, or maybe not. Um, And then the last one, and I may or may have not done this before, but I found this meme, and I thought it was pretty hilarious, and it said, just use hand soap in the dishwasher, they said. It will be fine, they said. And I may have not done that with the dishwasher, but I've definitely done that with my um, laundry before. Oh, yes, and I learned my lesson because it was a nice little... Clean up later. So, I wouldn't recommend it. But on a serious note, we're here to learn about the soap method, not just soap, but they do have a similar purpose. And that is when you use soap, you're using it to sanitize, to cleanse, and restore something to health. And that's what the soap method did in my life. It was so essential to changing the trajectory of how I read the Bible and how I allowed the Holy Spirit to use um, what He was speaking to me. And so, The contrast with the SOAP method is that it transforms and renews our hearts by aligning our minds with the word of God and God's will. And that's literally the perfect example of health. So the SOAP method is derived from the acronym Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer, which I wrote right here for you guys. you would like to write that down in your notes. And um, this four-step process really allows us to meditate on the Word of God. So um, through the Holy Spirit's illumination and God's revelation. And so the word meditation is really important when we're encountering the Word of God because it helps us observe and apply and uh, study the scripture and really take that fruit and apply it in our everyday life. So I have a question for you guys. When you think of meditation, what comes to your mind? Kind of a Zen, chilled out. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Uh, a cow. A cow. <laughs> okay. Like a cow pose in yoga, maybe? Okay. The first one is uh reminant. So you're kind they kind of, that's how they chew grass. So we're not thinking Kind of kinda like regurgitating as that's super appealing in the morning, isn't it? Yeah. Hopefully everybody ate breakfast. Anyway, but you know it's always kinda helped me to think about meditate on what's going on. Yeah. That's so good. So that was <laughs> Do you live on a farm? No, but uh, Okay. I'm curious about animals and stuff. Yeah, no that's so true. It's regurgitating that information and getting everything you can out of it. So, that was a great answer. You're so welcome. Thank you for your wisdom on cows. We all learned something this morning. So, um but the answer that I was thinking of when I thought of it was this idea of Zen and you're being present, and you're self-aware. But when you look at the Hebrew word for meditate, um, it's actually derived from two words, and that is haga and foot. Hopefully I'm saying the second word right. Um, And haga means to mourn, to speak, to imagine, to study, to mutter, utter, roar, soar, and talk. And then foot means murmurs, utters, mutters, and growls. But when you look up the lexicon um, of the word foot as well, there was a really cool contrast in there. And it was um, that the definition presented in foot is actually very similar um, to the Hebrew word that that is used to describe the growl of a lion over its prey. And I thought that was such a symbolic and powerful um, definition of what we're doing when we're involved in Scripture. And our culture has kind of adopted that mentality that meditation is very self-aware, very self-present. But it's actually an action verb. And what you're doing is you're, you're taking that definition and putting an action to it to perform it. And so when we go back to the Hebrew definition, um, Psalm 1-2 says, the man is is blessed who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. So God is clear to identify that the individual who performs this action prospers in all that they do, but it requires an action from us, right? We're not going to sit there and Oh, God, give me something. Like, you have to do something to get there. So when we look at the power of present in a lion's roar, we look at the supporting facts. And lions are my favorite animal, so I thought that this correlation was pretty cool. So the purpose of a lion's roar is to warn off intruders and to help round up stray members of their pride. And their roar can be heard up to five miles away from the point of origin. So what does this have to do with meditation? Well, consider the fact that our voices actually have the same frequency, especially as an infant, as a lion's roar, which means they have the same pitch. And so while we may have softer voices than a roaring lion, we actually have the same level of power within our own right. And um, the act of a lion vocalizing over its prey... And the act of human meditation on spiritual food corresponds heavily. Do you guys see how that intertwines? And so I I thought of a story, um, of a, an experience I had a couple years ago, where I went to the Chicago Zoo with my mom. And it was so much fun because it's outside. It's a beautiful day, a little humid, but, you know, can't be perfect. And... Um, there were so many stimulants around me. There were people on their bikes working out. There were cars, you know, because it's in the middle of the city and you could hear all the honking. And so there was a lot going on. But um, when we walked into that lion exhibit, I was enamored because, first of all, they're beautiful. And really, the only thing that separates you anytime you go into a zoo is this giant sheet of glass. And you think, oh, they're so cute. Look at how pretty they are. But as soon as that lion opened its mouth, it growled. And it was communicating with the other lion that was across in the other exhibit. And everybody that was around me stopped. And their eyes widened. And we all just kind of like looked at the lion because it was so powerful. And it literally resonated in every cavity in my body. And I was like, wow, that is true power. And the reason that I bring this all so heavily to the forefront before we jump into SOAP is because that most of us walked in here with this presupposition or prior assumption of what meditation means and what we're capable of, even with the word of God as our equipment and as our shield. So we're no longer... Um, I want to challenge you to think of it this way. We're no longer the hunted. We're the hunter. So the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, but he's not a roaring lion. You're the lion. And so when you encounter scripture, you're taking that attitude in with you that that you're the hunter. So our enemy will be paralyzed on the spot. As our meditation on the word of God becomes stronger and consistent. So are you guys ready to dive into soap? All right. Awesome. Me too. So before beginning any study, what's the first thing we should do? You guys are so smart. Yes, we pray. And um, that's dependent on how you want to pray. But some recommendations that I have when you're coming and encountering the word of God is to ask God to illuminate some things in the supernatural, maybe, maybe that you're not going to see on the page with your natural eye. Um, you know, ask for revelation for any areas that you need changing in your life that He's going to ask you to correct. And thank the Holy Spirit for His engagement with you in this time. And so the first letter of our acronym is Scripture. S is for Scripture. And when where you begin in scripture is dependent on your preference. Um, I personally would recommend starting somewhere where you can read throughout a whole book. Because you're going to build on that foundation as you continue to read over time. And so um, that could be half a chapter... That can be a whole chapter, but start somewhere and go with the intention of following through with that so you can build on that over time. And in this step, I recommend reading the passage that you're engaging with um, all the way through at least once, but try to do it in several translations. And I know Ashley's going to cover a lot more on the translations and different things in a little bit, but the more that you read from a different perspective— the more you're going to gain knowledge and context and all of the things that you're looking for. Um, And the more the Holy Spirit can engage with you too. And just like, I'm so sorry, what was your name? Uh, Just like James said, you're regurgitating that information. So you're taking everything out of it if you're reading several different translations. Um, So the translations that are closest to the original translations of the Hebrew Bible... Include the Good News Bible, um, today's New International Version Bible, and um, the NAB. And so, like I said, Ashley will cover a lot more of that later. But um, once you've read that scripture in its entirety, go back and then write down the parts of that passage that stood out to you. Sometimes, if I'm reading a smaller chapter, I'll write down like that whole chapter and really highlight maybe some words that stood out to me and I felt like the Holy Spirit was illuminating. And then sometimes when it's a gigantic chapter and I'm limited on time, I'm only going to write down a couple of verses, but I'm going to write down in what I read, um, the verses that really stood out to me and that I felt like the Holy Spirit wants to communicate something more to me. Um, so this step really allows you to soak and mentally focus. And so Just like we said earlier, meditate is imagine, study. And so we're using those utter, mutter those words. And we're interacting with that as we um, do the scripture portion of our um, soap method. So remember that the Bible is a living word, right? It was inspired by God and written by man. So what you read today may not be illuminated or carry the same meaning in a year from now. So writing it down is really important because in a year when you go back or in six months, when you go back, you're like, wow, look at what God showed me this time around that I didn't even get the first time. Cause that really does happen and really allow the Holy Spirit your, just your full awareness, um, in this first step, because God has a specific gift in his word just for you every time that you engage. And so Hebrews 4.12 illustrates this perfectly. And it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And the next step in SOAP is observation. And in observation, we're examining Um, the scripture that we just read a little bit deeper by observing some of the hermeneutic side of it, which is what Andrew talked about last week. And that's the historical, the cultural and the literary context. And the way that we do that, he covered a lot of this last week, but there's five W's. Um, and if you went to English class, which all of us did at one point or another, um, then you know who, what, where, when, and why. See, I have an expert back there already. And it's who wrote it? Who were they writing to? What are they writing about or referring to in the scripture? Where does the scripture take place? And when was it written? And then last, why was it written so what is the intent of this passage that I'm reading? Is it to command something of me is it or the original um, readers is it to warn is it to instruct me or instruct the original readers or encourage and so uh, paraphrase these, paraphrase these observations and after you've answered these questions, look at what caught your attention um, some good things to ask yourself after you've done that portion is what is God wanting me to notice in this passage? What is he teaching me through this passage? Cause yes, he had an original intention for them, but it could be the same intention for you, or it could have a completely different intention, but, um, he has an intention for why that is in the Bible. Right. And so how am I feeling and how do I relate this to this story? How do I respond to this? And these questions are a great place to start to engage with the Holy Spirit. So expect him to show up, and he will. Ways to go deeper um, in the observation step include like, reading commentary, which Andrew kind of talked about last week as well. And um, I think Daniel covered the Blue Letter Bible, Last week, and that's a great place to find commentary. Also, Bible Hub is a great place to find commentary if you're looking for more ways to get resources on the historical, cultural, and literary context. Um, And it's pretty easy to use, and it's for all walks of believers. So no matter how advanced or how new you are. So uh, looking up and further studying the Greek or original words... Hebrew words of the verses that you wrote down in the scripture are a great way to do that as well. Like I said earlier, when I have a lot of verses and I want to narrow it down, um, what I'll do is I'll highlight different words and I'll look up those words. Because sometimes in our language, we lose the meaning of words. We just say them, like Daniel said last week, because that's what we've heard all our life. Or, you know, we kind of lose the intention or the impact of those words. And so when you look it up in the Hebrew and the Greek, it kind of hits you a different way. And, um, so that's a great way to study and meditate on what you're reading. And then at last read the notes of a study Bible. So I found an awesome app. It's called, it's literally called study Bible, not complicated and it's free on, you know, I'm sure it's on everything. But it dissects scripture historically, contextually, and culturally so that the reader can grasp um, the message and intention of that portion of scripture. And then um, the last two steps of our process of the SOAP method are application and prayer. So, application is the portion of scripture that's really fun because it's for you. Right? And it's individualistic. So, this is where it becomes personal. And this is the portion of scripture where you're more internally aware of the meanings and the convictions um, that God is placing on you specifically during your reading time. So, if you're really honest with yourself and you come into it without a presupposition and a pre assumption of, well, I'm already, you know, awesome at not lying, so I don't need to take this seriously. But if you're honest with yourself and you come to it with a humble attitude and a humble heart, God is going to work in that. And so um, real change will occur in the steps. So questions to consider in the application portion are, how does this apply to me? Another great question to ask is, is there anything that God is clearly asking me to do or change in my life? Through this scripture. This can be sin. It can be attitudes. Obedience. Character traits. Or even your faith. In some of the promises of God. Or assumptions in the promises of God. And then the last quest- question. That I would um, challenge you to consider. In the application portion. Is when does this action. Need to be followed through. And. And how do I need to do it in order to do it well? Because if we don't come with the intention of changing and transforming our hearts, and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do that, then you're going to leave without the fruit. So if you walk into it saying, okay, I need to make a plan. Holy Spirit, how do I do that? You're going to walk out changed. And so the grand finale of our soap method Uh, consists of our, everybody's, hopefully everybody's favorite, prayer. And this is the perfect time. We talked about meditation and how it's like a lion. Well, this is the perfect time to practice your roar. And normally if I was in my pre-K classroom, I'd have you guys like actually practice it. But don't worry, I won't do that to you. Um, But you'll (laughs) pray the scriptures that you just read back to God. And this is a great way. Um, Actually, I love coming in the mornings the past couple weeks because I get to hear, is it Jim and Daniel? They're in here, and they're just meditating and praying the Word of God back to him. And that's so awesome to hear because it's so powerful to walk into. And um, you can just feel the Holy Spirit in the room. So when you're reading your scripture, come with that attitude of like, Oh man, God is going to use this today and I cannot wait to like pray this back to him because he's in the middle of this. And so um, if you have time, write down any previous scriptures that you can cross-reference. So if you did write down ones earlier in your study, in the actual scripture part of it, you can always go back later on that day or the next day if you're still kind of like stirring up the old scripture that you just read. And cross-reference. You know, your Bible has so many resources in there, um, and Ashley will touch on that even more, of different things that you can use to cross-reference, like, oh, this was in the Old Testament. I can use this to, like, pray even more over what I'm reading. And if you have the time, write down any previous scriptures, and then pray over that seed that God and the Holy Spirit just planted in your heart. And that it would take root and flourish in fertile soil. So pray that you would help scatter those seed around you as well. And if any of the attributes of God were revealed in that scripture that you just read, which they will be usually, uh, thank thank him for revealing that in the scripture that you just read as well. So the final thing that we should be doing when we come into prayer is confessing. And asking for forgiveness in any areas that he illuminated in the application portion of our study. And then thank him for his word. As the Holy Spirit, um, ask the Holy Spirit to continue developing you into a mature follower of Jesus. And as Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that only profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So I hope that today the soap method encourages you to really dive further into scripture and that it gave you some just easy applicable steps to carry on in your Bible reading. But I'm going to go ahead and release the the podium to the beautiful and lovely Ashley Basopa Moyo. She's got a great word for y'all today.
2: So what I'm going to talk about today is about different translations, how you know which, which translation to read, how you know which ones that you should be studying, how do you know where to apply the SOAP method. We're going to talk about original text, study Bibles, getting to the original content, translation and lost in translation and the process of canonization. Now just while Daniel's doing this, does anyone know what the canon is? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay. We're going to talk about that today. Okay. So if that sounds like a lot, I want to clarify that literally what I'm talking about could like be what you study for your entire life. There's a lot here, so this is a very brief overview, this is a very broad overview to just give you a a starting point to go from, so there's a lot more here than what I'm going to be able to cover today, and I would encourage you, if something stands out to you and you're like, I'd like to know more about it, then dive in and study further. So I'd like to ask all of you, if you know, what is the original language of the Bible? Key, it's not, It's tip, it's not English, so, do you know? Yep, that's right. Daniel, do you mind writing that down? It's Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic are the original languages of the Bible. Now, does anybody know where is, like, the original manuscript, like the one that Paul wrote? nobody Nobody knows. It doesn't exist anymore. We don't have an original manuscript. That's correct. hmm So they're old. They're old, but they're, they're copies of copies of copies. And why is that important? It's important to realize that when we're translating the Bible, we're translating from copies. So there's not like this original scroll that we can just go, and if we know Hebrew, we can read and be like, well, that's exactly what was written. We have to understand that we're studying off of copies of copies of copies. So what we're going to talk about is a little brief overview of how we get to the Bible that we have today. So we're going to have a little bit of a Bible lesson, and I'm going to ask Daniel here to write down important terms to help you write down. So back in the 1900s, mid-1900s, something really significant happened in the process of kind of looking at the Bible that we have today. It happened in 1947. It involved caves. Does anybody have any idea what it was? Yep, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So in the Dead Sea Scrolls are 900 scrolls that were found that basically were old documents of um, of Scripture. They were old copies, very old copies that we were able to look at. Now there's something called the Masoretic Text. So we're going to start with the Masoretic Texts, or the manuscripts. This is a traditional Jewish Bible. This was assembled through rigorous copy, and, and the point of the people, the scholars that were preparing this, was that they wanted to preserve the accuracy. They weren't trying to interpret it, they were just trying to pass this down to future generations. This work was done in Babylonia and Palestine, and the end goal was reproducing to the extent that they could make it accurate, and this happened between the 6th and 10th centuries AD. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, what was really significant is that these were very ancient scrolls. They dated back to the 2nd century BC which means that they were 200 years older than Jesus. And this 6th to 10th century AD, those manuscripts almost were the same, which means that almost 1,000 years of age going between them that they had been copied so well that there were just very minimal errors. And this speaks to God's hand on preserving scripture and that's really important when we talk about this because this is where people who don't believe in the Lord can be like well how can you trust such old documents how can you trust things that there are no originals available well we believe that if God is big enough to write the word through man he's big enough to preserve the word through man as well so I want to highlight to you some of the major points that took us from here to today so we have to approach the Bible realizing it's written in languages that have developed Hebrew, still spoken today, there's still Hebrew languages, but the Hebrew of some of the old manuscripts does not match the Hebrew today. Just as much as English develops, other languages also develop. So how do we pick a translation to read? Well, let's talk about how these went from scrolls to what we have today. A Greek interpretation of what we consider to be the Old Testament today, written in Hebrew and Aramaic, Became available to believers. So, Greek interpretation of this Hebrew and Aramaic text. This document, and I'm going to pronounce it like Americans, is the Septuagint. You need to look at this, I'll let you see it. And this was groundbreaking. This was a huge thing because it allowed Greeks to understand and read the Old Testament scriptures. Now, the, so um, this was significant because it allowed people like Paul to be able to study and read. You're doing great. <laughs> and so uh, this also includes the Apocrypha, like I said, which are other scriptures that we can look at that are not scripture, but they're they're written by um, basically leaders back then, that they're profitable maybe for learning, but they're not inspired by God, which we'll talk about in the process of canonization. So the Septuagint is not the word, but it includes the, The Old Testament scriptures that we look at today. Around 250 years later, the Latin Vulgate translation was prepared first and it went through a lot of revisions over the next thousand years. And you might be familiar with that if you came out of the Roman Catholic Church because that is the official text of the Roman Catholic Church. By the time of the Reformation, John Wycliffe came on stage and he was termed the morning star of the Reformation because he basically paved the way for um, getting. Bibles into the hands of everyday people. Now he was so hated by people who disagreed with what he was doing that after he died, his body was exhumed and burned because people despised what he was doing, which was making the Bible available to English speakers. Shortly after him came William Tyndale, you may be familiar with his name, and he completed a very notable translation that intended that included a lot of terms we still use today, like sin, which again, sin's an English word coming from Hebrew, but that term we still use as our interpretation for sin today. That we haven't found another word for that. The King James Version became available in sixteen eleven following the invention of the printing press, and that was completed using much of Tyndale's translation. And as we all know, the King James Version is still popular today. If you open a Bible app, you're gonna be able to access the King James Version. So hundred of years later Bible translation is still happening. You can still hear of a new translation coming out because we don't speak in the same form of English that we spoke back in the 1600s. If you pull up a King James Version, it might be a little bit difficult for you to read with the keepeths and the thous and the arts. So as our language develops, we have Bibles come out like the Message Bible that's meant to speak to people the way they speak today. Now, this is also important to recognize we're talking about looking at Bible translations very much from an English speaker's view, because Bible poverty exists around the world. And that doesn't just mean people not being able to have Bibles in their hands, but lots of people still don't have Bibles in their languages. So when we talk about translations, we are blessed to be able to pick from many scriptures that are available to us in our language, whereas lots of other places don't have that. Um, in fact, if this is something that stirs in you, I encourage you to look into organization like the Wycliffe Bible translators that continue to have a heart for championing this. Um, The Bible speaks in Revelation 7, 9 of the idea of seeing every nation and every tongue know the Lord. And a lot of people who are passionate about having the Bible translated, again, this is up to you of whether you believe in this interpretation of Revelation, but believe that Jesus will not come back until the Bible is translated into every language. So translation is still a very active ministry today. So as we get to this time and looking at our English options, we have a lot of translations available. So how do you decide? Why do some people believe in King James only? Well, let's start with the process of canonization and go from there. So the canon is the set of books of the Bible that we consider as holy scriptures today. At some point, these were scrolls. And as Tondra covered, there wasn't like some overtaking of Peter or Paul or John, where when they were writing letters that they were like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit has taken over my mind. I know that God's writing through me. That's not what happened. They were simply doing what they were doing, following the unction of his Holy Spirit, but it became recognized early on by the early church that there was something more to this than the words of men, that there was something special about what they were writing. We can see evidence in Scripture. We talk about Scripture interpreting Scripture. We can also see Scripture supporting Scripture. So in Second Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter writes about some of the letters that Paul has written, and he refers to them as Scripture by saying, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So this word other speaks to the fact that Peter was recognizing that there was something divine about the words that Paul had penned. The process of canonization took place over centuries. So it wasn't like one big meeting where all these people got down and said, you know what, we don't consider that to be scripture, and we do consider this to be scripture. It was a process that took time. But it all came back to, as this process happened, really three criteria. And if you write this down for me, that'd be great. Number one, it had to be divinely inspired. Number two, it had to be from reputable authors, speaking of um, like apostolic leaders in the church, someone that wasn't just some random person writing that they felt like, okay, this person has a standing and authority. And number two, from reputable authors. And number three, it had to be widely accepted by the church as being from God himself. Now, of course, if you study this further, I'm not going to get into this much further, but You can find that there were agreements, disagreements that took place. But by the time we got to 367 AD, we have the first full listing of all of the books that we consider to be the Bible today, which, again, were not written as a book. They were a set of different scrolls from different times. And again, even if you get a chronological Bible, how we put the Bible in order and in sequence is not actually chronological if you pick up a random Bible. So which translation should you study? Well, the history of the Bible is marked by God's divine hand of protection. So we have to believe, again, that the canon and all of that is something that had God's hand on it. That the scripture that we receive today is the scripture that God intended for us to receive. That they have been preserved. And again, that's to me what's so cool about the Dead Sea Scrolls is they just showcase that God has protected this. That really something that's very difficult to do to keep. Without much error has happened because God has been involved in this process. There's points in history where, again, Bible translators were persecuted and martyred and burned and Bibles were burned because this is something that leaders that were religious didn't want. They didn't want you and I to have a Bible in our hands because they were worried about, well, what will they do? Will they misinterpret that? They're not qualified. They can't handle that. But we live in a day and age today where we don't have to worry about where are we going to get a Bible. In fact, as we're going to talk about translations, we don't even have to worry about what Bible we can afford because if you have a phone, you can access pretty much any translation you want on your phone. You don't have to decide where. where am I going to spend $60, which Bible do I want? So we are very blessed. So... With all of this, what is my number one tip? Well, my number one tip is don't choose just one Bible. Don't choose just one translation. Now, I want to give you kind of a personal story here. When I lived in Haiti, um, the language of the country is French, but most Haitians don't speak French. So something going on today in the country is that some of the more educated religious leaders don't like the Creole Bible, the Haitian Creole Bible, which is the language most of the Haitians speak, because they feel like it's inaccurate. It's not a very good translation. Now, I'll give you, it's not the greatest translation, but it's a translation that can get into people's hands and allow them to know the Lord. And again, because we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe the Holy Spirit can speak through his word and help people understand. Creole is not a... um, a very established language. If you go up north, the version of Creole is different from the dialects that are spoken in the south. And so it's difficult to write a language like that because the language varies so much. But in that country, it's asinine to want people to read French when most people don't even understand French, to preach in French, which actually happens. And people that don't understand French will go to church and listen to a sermon in French because they think that's the right thing to do. So we want people to have the Bible in their own language. We want them to be able to have that. And so, again, at some point, we have to realize that even though accuracy is important, the Holy Spirit is with us to help us understand what maybe we're missing or maybe wasn't translated in the best way. So as you look at different translations, if you get talking to people who have been around the Bible for a long time and maybe have deep opinions, you may find some people want King James only. You may find some people hate the King James Version. You may find some people love the NIV. Some people call it the non-inspired version. There's a whole battle that goes on about Bible translations. But to me, This is the word of God that someone has access to, and the Holy Spirit's big enough to speak through anything that maybe I don't love about any given translation. So this is not about, this is the best translation, or this one is the one that I love, because again, these are translated off of copies of copies of copies, and even if you go back to Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, these are passed down, so we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us understand the original intent. So let's talk about a little bit about English and how English works, because we're all English speakers, and so we're talking about English translations. Well, if I were to tell my husband that I love him, that word love doesn't convey the depth of some other words in different languages. So for example, it seems like a simple concept, but I might be trying to tell him that I appreciate him or that I cherish him or that I honor him, or that I adore him, or that I value him. And each and every one of these words carries a different meaning, even though they might all kind of fall under the meaning of love. So when you look at Bible translations, it's going to be important to find one that relates verbiage in a way that you can understand. So number one, I would ask you to think about, is it readable to you? So it's great to have a translation that is in-depth, that is deep, that is academic, But if you can't get past a paragraph because it's so bogged down and you just can't get past it, that's just probably not the right translation for you. Again, this is the idea of what the Haitians have. It might not be the most refined Bible version, but it's a Bible version they can read. So we want you to have a Bible version that you can read. Number two, you need to think about something that you're going to find when you're comparing Bible translations. And that's the idea of whether it was translated word for word or thought for thought. You might run into the idea of meaning for meaning or paraphrase, but we're not really going to get into those today because generally the most broad categories are word for word or thought for thought. And basically what that means is if you have a a transcript that someone was translating, they could say, okay, so that word love... Um, okay, so that means love. And the next word, okay, that word means this. Okay, that word means this. That's what word for word is. Trying to translate every word as accurately as as possible. A thought for thought translation means I'm listening to the whole sentence or maybe even the whole whole paragraph and getting what does this mean. And then I'm going to translate it. A paraphrase does that even more in depth where I'm really not concerned about keeping the flow exactly correct as much as getting the overall idea and so the message bible is a well-known paraphrase so biblehub.com is also one of my favorite tools that victoria mentioned I find it really easy to be able to help me read different translations. So 2 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse that a lot of scholars will use in comparing different translations. So I'm going to read this verse to you out of four different translations to kind of show you how translations can impact what we're getting, the message we're getting. So 2 Corinthians 10.13 in the NIV says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will continue or confine our boasting the sphere of service god himself has assigned to us a sphere that also includes you the nlt says we will not boast about things done outside our area of authority we will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work that god has given us which includes our working with you the esv says but we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence god has assigned to us to reach even to you And the King James Bible says, But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule with God hath distributed to us a measure to reach even unto you. So as I was reading those, you might have caught that the words sphere, authority, boundaries, they're different from version to version. So as you relate and you look at different Bible versions, find one that you can understand, that you can go with, that you can grasp. And then as you get into SOAP, the SOAP method, we purposely put this class after soap because this is what's going to help you study it. If there's a verse that that really stands out to you, look it up on a tool like Bible Hub that allows you to compare versions. See, okay, what is a deeper way to understand this? Um, a a good tool that. Um, it actually comes from Mardell. Mardell does a really good job of making um, it understandable how to find a Bible. It's mardell.com forward slash Bible translation guide, and it'll tell you what is the purpose of the Passion Translation, what is the purpose of the Message Bible, what's the purpose of the English Standard Version, and it'll kind of tell you the heart behind the translation and what its purpose is. It'll show you different scriptures and the different versions. It is a really great tool. So as you're doing this, one thing to note is you do want to have an accurate translation. Do do your research to look for accurate translations. Um, A good example is a few years ago, a Bible came out that changed the pronouns of Jesus and God to she, but that is not what the Bible says. So that changes the meaning of Scripture. There's another Bible that came out that changed um, verb-like wording like, blessed is the man who to the blessed is the woman to. And the idea is being able to pray. Now, if you're praying that, the word man really means mankind, so I don't have any issue with praying, blessed is the woman who, because that concept or that version of the Bible was just supposed to make it easier for a woman to pray over herself. It doesn't change the meaning of Scripture when it's used in that way, but changing God to a she totally does, because God is not ever talked about as a she. One of my favorite... um sermons that i've heard on that topic was pastor sarah talked about the maternal heart of god on mother's day a few years ago you will be able to find it if you look up podcasts and because god does carry the things that are found in a mother but again he's not referred to explicitly that way so we have to be careful of changing scripture to match What we want. So, do find a scripture uh, translation that is accurate when that is kind of approved by the Christian community so that you know what you're reading is not going to lead you astray. Number three, do you know and do you understand how to dig deeper? So, if you're not familiar with the Amplified Bible, I think this is a great study tool. The Amplified Bible basically seeks to give you added depth by relaying multiple meanings for a phrase to the reader. Now, I'll tell you, this is not a great version to use if you're trying to read the Bible in a year or the Bible in like 30 days or something like that because it's going to make the Bible super long. So, But it also can give a lot of depth. So I'm going to give you an example. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, Love bears all things, and then in parentheses, regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each one, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. So this Bible translation is basically drawn out of trying to give you added explanations of what these words mean, where they come from, because our our language is not quite so complex to have good terms to apply to these. So it's a really helpful study tool, but not a great reading tool. So that's of the, the difference of reading and studying. Maybe read in a little bit of a quicker translation, but study in something that can draw out more meaning. Um, if you've ever heard Pastor Sayer recommend Rick Grinner's Sparkling Gems from the Greek, which is a, a great study tool, this is what he does. He basically tries to tell you this is what the Greek word means, and then he'll give you a really big chunk of one scripture that just becomes a lot longer by him elaborating on what it means. Great study tool. Uh, the Interlinear Bible is one of my favorite study tools right now. I really enjoy reading the Bible this way. If you use biblehub.com, this is something that you can use for free. Um, there's like a little up section at the top where you can click on commentaries and all these different sections. One of them will say inter or interlin or something like that. That means interlinear. And so an example um, of how you would use that is Exodus 20:17 says you shall not covet. Now, I would like you all to think in your mind, don't speak out loud, but what you think of when you think covet what that word means to you because we don't really use that term. I'm not like to my three-year-old stop coveting. This is not a thing that we say today. So what is in your mind do you think of when you hear that word? Well, if I use the interlinear Bible, I can look up Exodus 2017, I can go to the interlinear Bible, and I can see the word that was originally used in the the manuscripts available to us. So the word used here was tamud, which occurs five times in the Bible. I'm able to see every place that it shows up, and then I'm able to see that it comes from the word chamad. That's where the word tamud comes from, and the word chamad is in the Bible 28 times, and I can see the definitions of that. I can see different um, resources that have been published, like Strong's word study, different things like that, and I can see that one of the meanings of it that really kind of show me what it means is it's to, to desire, to take pleasure in, and in a bad sense of inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire. And that gives me such a clear view of what it means to not covet. This makes me understand um, that it's not just wanting something. I want that house, I want that car. It's born out of an ungoverned, selfish desire, and that gives me so much greater depth. It helps me understand the path that leads to coveting is having desires that are out of control, selfish desires that are not governed and put in their proper place in submission to Christ. And then find a study Bible. A study Bible is a resource that includes notes, if you've never seen one before. Um, Basically, somewhere around the top half will have scripture, and the bottom half of the page will have historical notes, it'll have um, a commentary usually, it might include maps, and all of this is to help the reader have a deeper understanding, and this is something I really encourage you to have a physical copy of. It's a really great tool to um, bring out, because I love tools we have online, but sometimes if you're trying to get quiet and study the word, you sometimes just kind of need to get away from digital distractions. So um, one of the study Bibles I'm enjoying right now is the Tony Evans Study Bible, and he also has a commentary. Other good resources are BibleGateway.com, BibleHub.com, and the YouVersion app. But one th- important thing to note is even though these help us go deeper, even though I might enjoy a commentary, I might enjoy what this person has studied to be the meaning of something, I have to realize there's a place where they are written by men. They're helpful but they're ultimately not authoritative in the way that the Bible is. So I need to always go back to the Bible. It's kind of a trap some people fall into to stop studying the Bible for themselves and listening to other people who have studied the Bible. we need sermons, those are great, but it can never replace your own personal study. Something else we need to talk about is as you hear all this, you might think, well, okay, so the Bible has a long history. Is it really reliable? Well, again, if we believe that God inspired the word, we have to believe that God preserved the word. And then we see today, why, why shouldn't we keep adding to the Bible? Like why, okay, Billy Graham is someone that in general was looked at as being, uh, you know, a leader. So if I look at the three criteria from earlier, well, what if he, he was an he was a authoritative leader, What if he wrote something that was received by the church that we believed was divinely inspired? Why can't that be added to the Bible? Well, in Scripture, we have Scripture that supports the fact that Scripture is complete. And so I'm going to give you a Scripture from the beginning of the word or like the oldest word that supports that, and that's Deuteronomy 4, 2, that says, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And then there's another reference in Revelation twenty two eighteen through 19. And if you're not familiar with Revelation, it speaks of what is to come. It's basically the part of life we haven't lived yet as a society and it says and I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book so that's to us he's talking to us if anyone adds anything to what is written here God will add to that person the plagues described in this book and if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book so it is a big deal don't add scripture you don't remove from scripture that's why as you have a lot of things happening uh, socially that may be controversial that people start questioning in the church it's important to always realize that what scripture says is absolute that it's truth it doesn't expire it's not like well that was true back in you know 1000 a.d but today nah not like that so translation is important and then we also have to look at things that are lost in translation this is why it's important to study so we're going to talk about the idea of what it means to be lukewarm okay so once again i want to read this to you and i want you to have an idea in your head don't say it out loud of what you think this verse means revelation 3 16 says but since you are lukewarm water neither hot nor cold i will spit you out of my mouth okay have an idea in your mouth what does it mean to be lukewarm why is that bad Well, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people teach on this verse. And the teaching goes something like this. It is better to be a sinner who just knows they're cold than to be lukewarm. In and out of church, kind of wishy-washy, need to be on fire for God. But it's better that you're cold than you're lukewarm. Well, maybe there's truth to that, but that's totally not what this verse is saying at all. Laodicea is a place... That's referred to in scripture, and it did not have a strong water source. That's what this verse is is referring to. So they had to source their water from far away via Roman aqueducts. So hot water flowed in from hot springs to the north, while cold water that was close to areas that were covered in snow came in from the south. But by the time the water reached... Laodicea, it was often lukewarm. So to quote Richards and O'Brien of the book, misreading scripture through Western eyes, God wished his people were hot like the salubrious waters of Heropolis or cold like the refreshing waters of Colossae. Instead, the discipleship was unremarkable. Now, we're in a discipleship class. I don't want my discipleship to be unremarkable. I want it to be cold and refreshing or hot and on fire. We don't want to be lukewarm. But if we have no concept, we're going to read a verse like that and have really no idea what it's saying. We don't want to be lukewarm. But what believer is like, yeah, I want to be cold. We don't talk like that. We don't sing those those words. So you have to study to understand historical context, and that can bring it so much more alive where I think about how what kind of disciple am I, what kind of believer am I, and how do I affect other people. So we're going to end with this, Psalm 119, verse 130 is in your workbook. It says the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So I'm going to leave you with a challenge to unfold. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, we can learn from this by just reading it. But there are a lot of questions if you start studying the word that you can ask yourself. So I wrote down a list of questions I have that I could study and answer. You can write these down. Um, Do I need to give you time to erase okay so these are questions i have so what is i'll say these more than once so that daniel can run them down so what is the significance of samaria and galilee what is the cultural context of lepers the lepers stood at a distance was crying out a common practice what does master mean what does it mean to have mercy on us what were they really asking him to do Why should they go show themselves to the priest? Was this a common practice? As they went, does that mean they were healed as they were acting on obedience? They turned back. That stood out to me. I'd like to understand a little bit more, just dig into that verbiage. Um, I, I find it significant. At the beginning, they were standing at a distance from Jesus, and then at the end, he was at the feet of Jesus. I'd like to study that, ask the Lord to reveal maybe some of the significance that can mean for me. Now, he was a Samaritan. Why is that worth mentioning? Words are not used haphazardly in scripture. Why was that a sentence that, like, what does that mean for us? No one was found to return except for this foreigner, and your faith has made you well. Now, because I've studied scripture, I, I know the answer to some of those questions, but there's some that I don't know. What did they mean when they were asking him to have mercy on us? Did they recognize him as a savior, or were they asking him for money? What were they asking? So, here, I'll give you this. So study the word, unfold it. You can use scriptures like that where it's not that the Holy Spirit can't speak to you, but if you take the time to use the soap method that Victoria just taught you about, the word can come so much more alive. You can understand so much deeper. The word is living and active. Scripture tells us that. That means that we can read the same thing a hundred times, and because it's living, we can always get something new from it. So have a practice of unfolding scripture like Psalm talks about. Find what what is there that I haven't seen before. What is there that I haven't learned before? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. We need to be able to correctly explain the word of truth. There's people in our lives that are going to ask us questions. There are people in our lives like our kids, our family members, that we're going to probably have conversations with even if we don't go out of our way. Can we handle scripture correctly? Do we have any clue what it really means? Have we taken the time to study it ourselves? Uh, if you were given a chance to come up here and teach, have you been in a place, if you were going to prepare something, that you study it so that you're able to to, to talk about it? That's the same concept. Have you studied the scripture well enough to talk about it with authority? Or are you like, well, I'm pretty sure John 3.16, is a verse I know, maybe Genesis 1.1, do you have any scripture that's stored away in you. So be a good worker who correctly explains it. So, our core concept, and again, this is in your workbook, is understanding how to truly study the roots of what we read in Scripture, getting to the Greek, to the Hebrew, to the Aramaic, starting with the intended meaning of those words, talking about historical complex. Uh, this helps us more excellently handle the word of truth. So, I encourage you unfold this scripture this week. It's an exciting thing to do. God can just show you new things that you never saw before. So with that, I'm going to talk about our homework. If you're in your book, I don't know what page it is, but it'll be on the back of the page. um, Does somebody know what number it is? 13, page 13. So number one, use the SOAP method to study 2 Timothy 2. Number two, compare four translations you enjoy reading. Again, you can do this through Bible Hub. You can look them up online. Write out whether they are word for word or thought for thought. Research that a little bit. How does your understanding of the canonization of Scripture affect your view on the authority and the trustworthiness of the Bible? And I encourage you to think about that, meditate on that, write it out. Because if there's any place in you that maybe you were shocked or you didn't know that's how it happened, come to terms with it. It's always been like that. But give yourself time to process through it. Because if we're not in a place where we're sure about the Word of God and you don't know your footing, that's when you can be misled. So process through it. Allow yourself to drink of the word, to bring it in, to study it. And again, as always, you can email your answers to discipleship at newsongpeople.com. I believe Daniel will be responding to some of those emails this week or Pastor Tondrai. And then next week we are going to have a fun little ending and we're gonna be talking about culture in the Bible. We're gonna be talking about the culture in the Bible, the culture now, and how Bible study impacts us. And lastly, on special lastly, request from, Daniel, special happy request from Daniel, happy it's birthday, Daniel. It's her birthday page. today. It's her birthday today. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Daniel, would you close us in prayer?
3: All righty. Uh, God you're good. Uh, thank you. Uh for letting us come together. Your word talks about um, how blessed it is uh, when the brethren join together. So God, you've already called this meeting blessed, and I thank you for that. Uh, God, I thank you uh, for the words that uh, VP and Ashley uh, shared with us. Um, Yes, God, I thank you that you use uh, the foolishness of preaching and teaching uh, to edify our hearts. God, I thank you that you're able to use something foolish and make it wise. God, I thank you that you make Um, simple things like this, and turn them into profound wisdom. And so, God, I just thank you. I thank you that your word says that your word is seed. And so I thank you for that word that's planted in our hearts. Um, Will you protect that uh, seed? Will you water it? Will you remove any uh, thorns or rocks or stones that could prevent um, a harvest that could reach 60, 80, 100-fold? And we just um, believe in the power of your word um, that today would provoke in us Awe and wonder to be people who really do delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Yes, God, will you give us grace to learn how to meditate on your word? God, may when we arise, may it um, be on our mouth, and when we lay down to go to sleep, may it be in our minds. God, thank you that you are so amazing that we can think about you day and night and still continue to search. God, you are so good. We love you in Jesus' name.